London Calling. London Walks Connecting. London Walks here with your daily London fix. Story time. History time. I trust it'll be all right if I begin this one by putting down a marker. This Today in London History podcast series began on December 26, 2021. If you do the maths, do the calendar count, that comes to 265 of them, meaning 100 to go to complete the year. So, yes, completing this one will break me into two figures country. 99 to go and counting after I complete this one. That first one, last December 26, was done on a whim, done because I felt like doing it. For all I knew then, that one could have been a one-off. Then on December 27th, I did another one, and then another one the next day. At some point back in those first days, the bemused thought will have crossed my mind, I wonder how long I can keep this going. I was probably thinking a few weeks max. And then at some point back then, the virgin thought will have crossed my mind, gosh, it'd be extraordinary to have one of these for every day of the year. I can't imagine that I'm equal to it, but I'll just take it a day at a time and see how far I get. And then spring rolled around, and I'd done over a hundred of them, and at some point back then, the iron entered my soul. I thought, I'm going to see if I can do this. 100 became 150, 150 became 200, and so on. This is the fourth one I've worked on today, September 13th. The other three are down and dusted. They were numbers 263, 264, and 265. So yes, this feels like a landmark. Feels like the beginning of the long home stretch. Assuming I do complete this marathon, do that last one, the 365th in the series, on Christmas Day, what happens on December 26th? I've been asked that a few times, and have asked myself, posed that question to myself a good few times. There's a lot about this project that I like very much. I've made a lot of interesting discoveries. The body of this podcast is going to be about St. Paul's Covent Garden and its architect, Inigo Jones. Inigo Jones's motto was, Altro diletto che impara no trovo. I have no other delight but to learn. Well, I, David, do have a few other delights. But as mottos go, I have a lot of time for that one. That thought, that approach to life, that's talking a lot of sense by my lights. So the stuff I found out, including some things tonight about Inigo Jones, have been very rewarding. And of course, for a guide, a London Walks guide, invaluable. Thanks to this podcast project, I now know a lot of interesting stuff that no other guide in London knows. But then we come to the rub. Well, the main rub should make that plural because there are two of them. One is the time commitment. Each one of these takes me four to five hours. I have to research it, script it, voice it, clean up the voice, and run it up the mast. That's a seriously heavy time commitment given the other stuff I've got on my plate. There are huge chunks of our website, for example, that are crying out for this or that, and I've had to back burner quite a few of those repairs and emendations and alterations. 
And the other side of that coin is one getting out and about in London. For half a century, I've fine-tooth combed this city, voraciously explored it. Those daily forays deep into London, just walking and looking. Doing less of that, which has been a necessary consequence of this podcast project, that's like a restriction of my oxygen supply. And the same goes for reading. I suffer from an incurable case of bibliomania. 30 to 35 hours a week on this podcast project translates into, I would say, 15 to 20 lost reading hours every week. That I cannot abide. For me, that's like being locked up. So where are we going to be on December 26th? I have a ton of material I haven't used. It's material I'd like to use. But I have to slip the surly bonds of this heavy time commitment. So what I think might happen, it's still early days of course, is that the Today in London History podcast might become a Today in London History bulletin. A much, much shorter daily piece. A snippet, really. I've already been told, hey, it's not a podcast as is. A proper podcast is at least 30 minutes and often 45 minutes long or even an hour long. You're just doing these mostly 10 to 15 minute informational morsels. That's not a podcast. Well, who cares? I certainly don't. What I've put out, the stride I've got into, feels right for me. That surely is all that matters. Nobody's paying me for this work, this output. Nobody's being shortchanged. So my dwarf podcast. There, nomenclature-wise, does that neologism pass muster? Anyway, yes, my dwarf podcasts will likely become bulletins. And depending on how I feel about any given day's topic, and given my time commitments and pressures, well, some of them might well be more like, size-wise, the ones I've been ladling out here for the last nine months. And the other thing I want to do with this particular instrument, this audio component of our website, is spread my wings, get a lot more output that's London and Londoners today, interviews, input from guides, etc. So that's the state of play, the London Walks podcast State of the Union address from mid-September 2022. Shall we do some Today in London history? Let's go first to September 17th, 1795. It's lunchtime. Lunchtime in Covent Garden. You know, the piazza and all the little streets around it. Oh, and do let me mention in passing, isn't St. Paul's Covent Garden looking great? And so it should do. They're just putting the finishing touches on the major renovations that have been going on there for several years. Renovations which were sorely needed, as handsome and characterful as the old fellow was. It's been there for over a century and a half now. That's a lot of London to weather, and a lot of London weather to weather. So yes, looking great. But hey, did you see that? That looks like smoke. Quick, quick! Oh my God! Okay, that's the lead-in to what happened today. It's midday. Workers have downed tools and gone off to lunch. They made a mistake. A big mistake. They left an unguarded fire. Who knows how it happened? Sometimes a burning log or stick will pop.
and a spark flies out. It depends on where that spark lands. If it lands on something that's flammable, well, it only takes one spark. That spark did for it. The whole of the interior, all of that renovation, up in flames. The one bit of Inigo Jones's original early 1630s church that survived is the great East Front with its Tuscan columns. That, incidentally, was originally going to be the front. Shows you how innovative Inigo Jones was. The altar's always at the east. You enter the church from the west. Jones said, sod that. This faces this wonderful piazza. The entrance has to be facing the piazza. That time Inigo Jones was trumped. The Bishop of London said, no, you don't. The altar has to be in its traditional place at the eastern end. So that magnificent front was never a front, but never mind. Well, the pantry of great stories about St. Paul's Covent Garden overflows. But thanks to that long introduction to this piece, this podcast is in danger of overflowing. So I'm confining myself to one tale, a favorite tale. What I like very much about it is the way it illuminates London and Londoners. And there's another reason this one gets the nod. We've got a connection. Well, a near enough connection. And this avocation of ours, guiding London, it's all about making connections. The immediate connection, nearly perfectly timed, is a birthday. Well, near enough to a birthday. Henry Sweet's birthday has just passed. He was born on September 15, 1845. Who was Henry Sweet? Well, might you ask. He was a phonetician, a comparative philologist. A philologist is a words person. He or she is a collector of words and their etymologies. And a phonetician? A phonetician is an expert in phonetics. And phonetics is the study of human sounds, and phonology is the classification of the sounds within the system of a particular language or languages. And what do you know? Henry Sweet sat for the portrait, as it were, of Professor Henry Higgins, the professor of phonetics in George Bernard Shaw's great play, Pygmalion which, of course, became the famous musical, My Fair Lady. And what do you know, right there, under that great portico of St. Paul's Covent Garden, is where the play and the musical opens. And why does Shaw open it there? Well, watch the lights of illumination, of understanding, understanding of London and Londoners. Go on here. GBS, George Bernard Shaw, was, we perhaps should remind ourselves, Irish. And as an outsider, he was fascinated by the difference an accent can make to an English person's life. In the preface, Shaw says, An Englishman cannot open his mouth without making another Englishman either hate or despise him. The two key words there are hate and despise. The Englishman doing the despising is a member of the upper class. He's got a posh accent. 
he looks down on stains. Yes, that's the current slang word Toffs use for the rest of us. Stains. The other Englishman is the one who hates. He's way down the social scale. Doesn't have one of those plummy accents. And he senses the arrogance of the Toff. Feels pretty sure that the Toff looks down on him. And he doesn't like that one bit. He hates the supercilious prick. Excuse the French. Now let's think about the time of the day Shaw opens his play. It's 10.30 at night. The theaters have just let out. On the other side of the piazza, you've got the Royal Opera House and the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, the two poshest theaters in London. The opera's over, the show's over. All those toffs are just coming out of Drury Lane and the Opera House. Finally, what's the weather doing? It's bucketing down. And when it buckets down, nobody can ever get a taxi in London. So what happens? Mrs. Ainsford Hill, her daughter Clara, and her son Freddie. And look, their double-barreled name, Ainsford Hill, gives the game away. They're upper class. They've just come out of the opera house. They can't get a taxi. Mother and daughter take shelter under the portico of St. Paul's Covent Garden and send hapless Freddie off in the downpour to get a taxi, for heaven's sake, Freddie. But it's not just Clara Ainsford Hill and her mother taking shelter there. So does Eliza Doolittle, the cockney flower seller from Covent Garden Market. And her accent, and indeed her names. She's not Elizabeth. She's Eliza. Eliza Doolittle. Does that surname not sum up how the toffs of this land feel about the hoi polloi? And finally, there's one other person there, a person with a notebook and a pencil, a professor named Henry Higgins, a professor of phonetics. He's there because of the range of accents that are on offer. Brilliantly, Shaw has found the one place in London where he can plausibly bring together the whole moth-eaten, class-ridden range of English accents, plausibly being the operative word. They are few and far between, indeed almost non-existent, the places where you hear, effectively under one roof, the accent of the bottom rung of the English social scale and the accents of the topmost rungs. It's close, careful observation and pure genius. Shaw has worked that out. He found the one place where he could plausibly bring together the Ainsford Hill accent and the Eliza Doolittle accent. And that one place is St. Paul's Covent Garden, the focal point for this day in London history. And while we're at it, a slightly belated happy birthday to Henry Sweet. And a Today in London recommendation? Been to the Royal Opera House yet? Why not? It's a special place. World-class opera and ballet. It's not cheap, though, but you knew that. You've been listening to the Today in London History podcast, emanating from www.walks.com, home of London Walks, London's signature walking tour company, London's local, time-honored, fiercely independent, family-owned, 
just the right size walking tour company. And as long as we're at it, London's multi-award winning walking tour company. Indeed, London's only award winning walking tour company. And here's the secret. London Walks is essentially run as a guides cooperative. That's the key to everything. It's the reason we're able to attract and keep the best guides in London. You can get schlubbers to do this for 20 pounds a walk, but you cannot get world-class guides, let alone accomplished professionals. It's not rocket science. You get what you pay for. And just as surely, you also get what you don't pay for. Back in 1968, when we got started, we quickly came to a fork in the road. We had to answer a searching question. Do we want to make the most money, or do we want to be the best walking tour company in the world? You want to make the most money, you go the schlubber's route. You want to be the best walking tour company in the world. You do whatever you have to do to attract and keep the best guides in London. You want them guiding for you, not for somebody else. Bears repeating, the way we're structured, a guides cooperative, is the key to the whole operation. It's the reason for all those awards. It's the reason people who know go with London Walks. It's the reason we've got a big following, a lively, loyal, discerning following. Quality attracts quality. It's the reason we're able, uniquely, to front our walks with accomplished, in many cases, distinguished professionals. Barristers, doctors, geologists, museum curators, archaeologists, historians, criminal defense lawyers, Royal Shakespeare Company actors, a bevy of MVPs, Oscar winners, I call them, people who've won the Guide of the Year Award. Well, you get the idea. As that travel writer famously put it, if this were a golf tournament, every name on the leaderboard would be a London Walks guide. And as we put it, London Walks guides make the new familiar and the familiar new. And on that agreeable note, come then, let us go forward together on some great London Walks. See you tomorrow.